As a CEO and a founder, you have to get over that fear and get in front of your customers. You can't be scared to ask for money. Our job as a sales organization is to protect the value of what we've built. Our customers' best interest is that we build a successful business. Hi, I'm Yaron Sadka, sales engineer at Iron.io. You're listening to Road to Growth, a podcast about startup sales organizations brought to you by Heavybit, a nine-month program for developer-facing startups. Road to Growth is a bi-weekly series that breaks down SaaS sales organizations one piece at a time, from the first person to kick off sales at a company, all the way down to the partnership and cohesion with the marketing and product teams, we'll take you through what it takes to build a powerful, fine-tuned sales organization. If you're interested in being a guest, have a topic for us to discuss, or a role you'd like us to dive into, send an email to roadtogrowth at heavybit.com. In this episode, I'm joined by Chad Arimira, co-founder and CEO of Iron.io. Chad and I discuss his early sales experience as CEO, the importance of your first sales hire, and the idea that a sales organization's primary purpose is to defend the value of your product. Today, we have uh, Chad Aramura. Uh, he's a CEO, co-founder of Iron.io, been around for a few years now, gone through some rounds of funding and, and kind of like all those different phases. So um, welcome, Chad. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Yaron. Yeah. Tell us a little about yourself, your history, and, and how, kind of how you got to where you are today. Sure. So my name is Chad Arimira. I'm the uh, co-founder and CEO of Iron.io. Uh, how did I get to where I am today? Well, I guess it started in the college dorm room back in 98. started my first company uh, in college where I got together with some co-founders at the time. Well, actually, I got roped into it because I was an engineer and the business guy wanted someone to build something. So Back then, registering URLs was kind of difficult, and it wasn't widely easy known. GoDaddy, I don't think, even was around at the time. <laughs> uh, so I helped him register the domain name, and I became co-founder overnight. So that was pretty exciting. That became seven years of my life, actually. Um, built a business around marketing to college students, so helping big brands, uh, Fortune 500 companies, reach uh, the college market. And I was the CTO co-founder then. Helped architect the initial applications, uh, building big monolithic apps using Perl at the time. And so at that point, we built a pretty good business and ended up selling it. Uh, you know, it was a student-ran business, sold it in 2005 or six-ish time frame. Uh, from there, that's when I got initially into sales. So I started off as a sales engineer at Sprint. Uh, did that for a few years or about a year and a half. And then I went quickly into Oracle where I was uh, field sales Fusion middleware sales at the time. So it was a bit of a hybrid role between sales engineering and direct sales, <clears throat> selling the Oracle middleware line. And that's where I really started to cut my teeth on how enterprise software was sold and understanding how buyers operated and uh, the philosophies and techniques for sales. And Oracle, if you're familiar, is a quite interesting sales organization. So I learned a lot being there. It was pretty exciting. And then to complete the story, I went from there and met up with my co-founder, who at the time was at Siebel, and both of us said, it's time to get into business again and start our own thing. So we started a consulting company building and writing software, and uh, that's where the first products were built uh, that are uh, ironed today. Awesome. So you know, taking that to the start, then you weren't originally seeing yourself in, in sales or anything like that, going to school for engineering, and then kind of fell into more of a, a sales role. Is that kind of how the, the story came together? Yeah, actually, I had never intended to go into sales. A buddy of mine who uh, was one of the very early employees at my first company, Aldorm.com, after we sold the company, he left a little bit earlier than that, and he went into sales, and he said, Chad, you have to get into sales because the market for technically... So, I guess savvy or people who can speak the technology uh, technology language, but also speak the language of like 
people and be able to just interact with people and have conversations and articulate the value of, of technology, um, they're in high, high demand. And so he, uh, he is one of the best salesmen I know personally. And so he sold me on the idea and I was super nervous. I mean, I went into this interview. I'd never been in an interview before, by the way, because uh, mm-hmm. you know I did my own company and and for for a long time. And so it was really like my first job interview. And and I walked into the office, and and my my buddy, his, his name's Mike. He he said, "Don't worry, you're a shoe in. Just just go to the interview. You're in." And so I walked in there, and 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 the uh, sales manager, he set his phone down on the table, and he said, "Sell this back to me." And I was like, oh my gosh. So luckily I had read a couple sales books. I think spin selling is one of them. So I basically just regurgitated the same stuff from that in front of me. He's like, great, you're in. <laughs> Better than selling a pen back to somebody, I guess, which is the, the normal thing you get at the conferences. <laughs> exactly. Well, it, this was for Sprint. So naturally selling a phone was kind of part of the process. But right. uh, it turned out to be a really great move because I, I loved it. I had a great time. Uh, what you know, I became... The guy that just sort of went around the country and talked about technology, but didn't have to be really like held accountable for the exact sales part of it because we had sales reps. I was an overlay rep at the time, and then when I went to Oracle, I had a really cool gig there where I was just helping architects and and talk to customers about their architecture, and it was like the best of both worlds. But then I had to I had to get back into building it myself. Great. So then now you know talking about Iron since we are kind of focused more on the, the startup environment. So you had the sales background. Um, you met up with Travis. You know, he takes the lead on the on the more engineering side. You take the lead more on the business side. So, what was your sales strategy when you guys first started off? Probably not in the first few months, but you know, you hit year one, and now you need to have some sort of sales to prove yourself to investors. Mm-hmm. The sales strategy was get anyone to pay you anything for whatever it is the hell that you're building. <laughs> um, Travis and I, uh, I think, had pretty good intuition around what we wanted because we were our first customers. Our clients at the consulting business that we built um, all relied on our technology to, uh, to build the software and manage the software that we were building for them. And we knew that there was value. So putting together a strategy was just around you know, how the heck do we price this thing? Um, how do people buy? Calling up all of your friends, calling up all of your family members, and saying, "Try this out, please. Try it out. Pay us anything. Twenty dollars is too expensive. Okay, fine. Pay us ten. And that's really the first like major phase of, I'd say, product market fit is just seeing who and how many you can get to pay pretty much anything and what the value is of of them at the time. And that evolves a ton over time. But in those early days, it's just about getting people to give you feedback and 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 as they say, partying with some of their hard-earned dollars. Yeah, so I mean, feedback is a, is a big part uh, that people kind of forget about sales. You know, when you have your reps talking to clients and taking that information that the client gives you and kind of feeding it back to product and engineering, you know, that's a big part that people don't realize about sales is how much it, it drives product sometimes. So, it, you know, at the beginning, I should say that the sale wasn't necessarily money. It was more about, you know, a, a long-term, right? The sale is is in this kind of really young phase. We're not looking for the money, but we're looking for the feedback. That's the value that you're giving us right now as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, when you're first starting out, that's great. You have all these, these cycles that you can go through. As you grow and the company kind of grows with you, you get more and more removed. So how do you, how do you kind of keep control and, and keep tabs on the feedback customers are giving you uh, without necessarily being on these calls and talking to clients on a day-to-day basis like you used to be? Well, a, a big part of that is trusting your team as you grow. Um, a couple of comments about what you said a, a second ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, the feedback loop is is critical. It's it's all about creating something of value and then capturing that value in your in the way that you go to market. And if you're creating value and people love what you 
build and they're and they are getting value out of it it's about capturing that value and you can't be scared to to ask for for money and a lot of the times it's just about continuing to raise the prices until you've met that sort of value match to what you're selling and it's not about scamming customers or being uh, unethical or um, not being in their best interest it's about you know, the, our customer's best interest is that we build a successful business and that we continue to capture the value of our intellectual property and that we can offer a great service and great solutions to our, our customers. And if we give it away uh, or we mark it down because they, want, they can save a few dollars on their budget, ultimately that puts us at risk, which ultimately puts our customers at risk as well. Um, one of the best lines I heard at Oracle, who or, Oracle tends to be on the other side of the spectrum where it's raise the price as, as high as it can possibly go and then just n- almost never budge until you found that maximum value. And I, as an engineer, I had a big problem with that. And one day uh, I was talking to someone pretty high up and uh, they said at Oracle, our, our job as a sales organization is to protect the value of our IP. It's to protect the value of what we've built. It's not to scam our customers or, or, or um, use every dollar in their possible budget. It's simply to build a successful business and that's really resonating with me. Um, so to answer your question about how to stay in tune with your team uh, and your customers, uh, it's trusting your team, um, trusting that you're bringing on the right people. Uh, there's a very, very big trust exercise as uh, as anybody who's building something. You, you start to lose, I wouldn't call it control, but you just lose visibility and you lose this sense of control. And it's like a trust fall almost, like falling backwards and having someone catch you. If they don't catch you, you're going to have a hard time trusting those people in the future. But the more you do it, the more you trust those people. And and you begin to just set up processes and workflow where information gets back to you eventually. But also, don't forget about the customer. So I'm still on customer calls probably twice a day consistently every single day. And that helps make sure that I'm in the loop. That's great. And, you know, Bringing back the value piece, you know, you inherently understand the value of your product. Is you know, you built it. You you kind of came up with the idea for it. How do you communicate that now to a sales team that you are putting together that may or may not be technical necessarily and don't understand the day to day value that your your product provides? Right. For me personally, um, one thing that helps me a lot is talking to our customers and hearing personally from them what what they see the value in our product is, and so. Making sure that the team has the opportunity to talk with customers who advocate for our technology, talking to happy customers, hearing from the mouth from their mouths what they see is in the value. Um, you know, as a founder and especially a CEO, you can constantly harp about we're the best, we're the best. Harp about you know, there's so much value built up. Just go and sell it. But to hear it from your customers is just a thousand times more powerful, I think, because it really starts to drive home for the sales team what it is that they're selling and what they're creating for customers, not just selling something, but creating value and helping customers solve problems. And I think that's critical is setting them up early with customers that can be successful and are successful already. So, you know, you take you take that piece and now you actually have to value your company and put a, put a dollar amount on it, right? Which is hard to do when you're you're talking to clients of varying sizes and, and different people within the organization. So, you know, you come out, you start with a freemium model, you just get users in the door, get you know, customer feedback, and then now you need to start charging. So what was that process like for Iron? You started day one, here's the pricing, and then how did that evolve as, as you grew? Well, the big thing for us um, was that we started off as a utility where we were charging per minute for our worker processes, or basically the time that you were running code, we were charging. Uh, and then for IronMQ, our messaging service, we were charging per million messages. And that's a very 
comfortable way to sell your service or sell your product because then people pay what they use only for what they use and then you end up with a ton of customers paying you about a dollar 75 per month and it's a great way to feel comfortable about the value but also it's a great way to build a, a, a losing business model because suddenly you're comparing your company to companies like Amazon who are doing multiple billions of dollars per quarter and are just commoditizing every piece that can be commoditized and you start to be compared to those companies as well. And then not only that, but then you start building a company in that light. So the big evolution for us initially was to start releasing plans. And those are what we called our starter, our developer plans. At the time, I think we called them iron and ore and gold and silver and platinum and that kind of thing. Keeping with the theme of... <laughs> exactly. And, and charging monthly and understanding that the value is captured in the plan, not in the utility usage of that plan. So we stopped charging per minute, we stopped charging per message, and we started charging around what are the things that customers really value about of our service. And that turned out to be first in, first out, FIFO, ordering of queues. That turned out to be priorities of, of uh, jobs being ran and be able to jump priority and order, um, get uh, dedicated workers, being able to ensure that you have capacity always to run. That was the second evolution of our company is when we realized that enterprises really valued things like SLA. Well, choice and control are the big thing for enterprises that we hear consistently. So having control, um, having choice, the flexibility to ensure that they have SLAs in place, that they have dedicated capacity, dedicated infrastructure just to them. They have VIP white glove uh, support from our team. Um, they're able to ensure that they have capacity when they need to run something that it's going to get run. And that they can rely on you as a as a business, and not just like a company selling to everybody and has a kind of faceless software organization. So the second big iteration for us was marrying the best of both worlds, where we can grow with our customer, but also capture that value as well. And so we started charging for things like clusters and regions um, and concurrent workers, as opposed to just raw minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that we're continuing to move more into the solutions-oriented cell where we deliver a solution for X dollars per month as opposed to you're using this much resources and that type of thing. So that was the big evolution that we've taken as a company, and uh, it's done really well for us so far. Yeah, so it, it sounds like the value really that you've found is stay away from resources and, and see what it is that companies are, really need because the need is the value, not the want. So... You know, when you talk about enterprises, they're more so focused on the service part than the software. You know, they can build the software, but they don't want to do that, and they're, they're looking for the service piece. Whereas, younger developers or, or smaller teams are just you know looking for the software because they don't have the time, and they're not so worried about the the servicing because they they have time to do the servicing themselves if they have to. That's right. So now now you have a. Uh, these plans together, you're starting to sell. The company's growing a little bit, and you know you're leading the sales team, right? As the CEO, you're focused on on the the business aspect of the company. What kind of triggers do you look for? Is it time of day? Is it like the amount of volume of customers coming in? What flags and, and triggers really say, okay, you know what? Now it's time to kind of start looking for a, either a sales team or somebody to focus their time on on more of the sales aspects of the company. Well, definitely it wasn't a sales team because <laughs> a team would warrant having multiple people in place. Um, you know, I think the best way to look at that is you got to bring in sales people or a sales leader the second you can afford it and the second that you know that you have something that customers are willing to pay for. Um, whether that means one customer paying you $5,000 a month or 100 customers paying you $10 a month or $50 a month or whatever it is that you're selling, if, you, if you've if you got enough of them and you maybe you get to your first $10,000 in MRR, 
that's a pretty powerful message to say, okay, now we need someone to come in early and start to wrap strategy around this because your first VP of sales is, should be your first hire if if you can find, which is they're very hard to find <laughs> um, because a VP of sales position is very difficult, especially in a startup. You know, you've got your traditional VP of sales who works at a large organization and, and it's really hard for them to transition into a company of five people. And because that VP of sales from day one is not just going to be selling a product that's created, they're going to be packaging the product, they're going to be marketing the product, they're going to be talking to the engineers, they're going to understand the DNA of it and how to capture that value, and they're going to build the strategy for how you go to market, not just for today, but over the next couple of years. And that's really, really hard to find in someone. I was fortunate that I had that sales experience, so I was able to get the company to around thirty-five, forty thousand $40,000 in MRR, uh, and at that point, I just couldn't handle the workload anymore, and there was just too much going on for me. And as a CEO, you're pulled in so many different directions. And I was I was also fortunate to have known our VP of Sales Morgan for probably ten to fifteen years uh, at that point, and we'd been talking for up to a year and a half before that about him coming on board, and and we couldn't move any quicker. So it was great to get him on board, and and he's really built up the company from there. That's awesome. Um, so luckily, you had that sales experience, so you knew. I mean, you could grow the company a little more, and you knew what to look for in, in a VP. Most CEOs don't have that experience. They have no idea who to hire. They hire, let's say, an account executive right off the bat who fails because they don't have the right team around them. What things did you look for? What did Morgan have that proved to you, I can bring this guy in or this gal in as as a VP of sales and know that they'll succeed? I would say three things. I'm sure I could come up with a million different things, but number one would be experience. Um, It's really hard to learn that that role. You can't bring in someone who's quote-unquote, I'm doing air quotes, quote-unquote, businessy and have them become a salesperson for you because understanding how to articulate value and talk to customers and ask for money is a skill that you learn. It's not something that's oftentimes just inherited or it's not just inside of someone. There's skill there. And sales is a process. More than anything else, sales is a process. Uh, but the hardest thing is marrying that process to the strategic the strategic, like the creative aspect of a startup because there's no process in place initially and a VP of sales is not going to be handed any type of process. They have to create the process for the startup and they have to be creative enough to be able to find the strategic process to grow a company from $10,000 in MR to a couple million dollars in MR. Okay, so there's three things. One would be experience. Uh, two would be, I believe, a thirst for knowledge because if you bring in someone who thinks that they know the way the world works, they're not going to survive because a startup is you take a lot of hits and you it's a constant learning process so a thirst for knowledge understanding who your right advisors to put around you are understanding other startups in your space and going to talk to them someone who wants to learn about that or has built it multiple times in the past and can do it for you it's like a playbook and then number three would be data driven understanding well data driven and process driven uh, because those are the most important things you're creating repeatable processes that can scale you're understanding the data and what's driving customers to buy and how they buy more over time. And if you're not data driven, you have no idea. It's like you're, you're it's like trying to find someplace without a map, right? You have no blueprint, no history. Uh, so you have to create all that, but you you have to be data driven without prior data. Mm-hmm. And so those three things are really critical, I think, to finding that first sales hire. Yeah, I mean, those are definitely good points. And, and I've had a lot of time with Morgan, so I know exactly how how he is and and the kind of team that he's looking to to put around him, which is which is great. So, so talking about the team that now goes around a VP of sales, especially at a, at a B2B tech startup, right? if they don't know the technology or even technology in general, 
what's the kind of timeline that they're looking to fill in terms of, of heads and personnel to put around them so that they are successful in, in moving the company forward? Is, is there a timeline? Is there a, a right move or a wrong move? Um, you know, what have you learned during your time with that? Yeah, I mean, because the, the VP of sales or your first strategic sales hire, in order for them to maintain that level of, of strategy, <laughs> um, they're going to have to bring on a team as quickly as possible uh, because they're going to be not only your number one salesperson and they're going to be selling as much as possible, but if, they, if, if the company continues to grow like the way it should be, they're going to have to hire a team as quickly as possible. And vetting a team and bringing on reps, uh, bringing on engineers, sales engineers and architects, early on is, is critical because they're going to lose sight of being able to focus on what they need to focus on, and that's building the process, understanding the data, understanding the strategic level of what they're selling. Because again, a startup, you know, you can be a startup from zero to 10 million, you can be a startup from zero to 20, 30 million in, in revenue. Um, you're constantly adjusting to market dynamics, especially in a market like ours that's not very well understood, it's very noisy, there's a lot of various competition and noise on understanding how to um, architect the modern app. You're constantly like on a strategic level with your VP of sales, so it's critical that they're able to think strategically. So, long story short, bringing the team as quickly as possible and as quickly as you can afford it, and you got to raise enough money to at least get out ahead of it. So it seems like at least in your space, it's bringing a VP of sales first, and then the team around them kind of starts with technical support, and then from technical support, it kind of grows into more of a. a a typical or standard sales team where you have account executives, you have inbound sales, outbound sales, all that good stuff. So it seems like the first step is first technical people underneath the VP. Yeah, I, I mean, again, that's like, in my mind, that's my ideal playbook is to bring in that strategic sales thinker early. And if you can find that person to be your best salesperson, but also become your VP of sales and grow, mm-hmm. that's ultimately what you need because you need a sales champion next to your, next to your side. Bringing in a rep early, someone who doesn't have that strategic level uh, visibility and doesn't necessarily want to build a team, you definitely need to bring in salespeople, but you're going to lack that close that feedback loop that you need from that person, the strategic level of, of participation. Uh, and when you need to grow a team, you're just going to have to go find it anyways. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's, that's the order that I would do things. Awesome. And so now, you know, today, you have a sales team of, of how many? Just uh, off the top of your head, is probably about six. Okay, cool. So, you, so you built a sales <laughs> a sales team of six now. You know they're they're probably doing well, moving you forward. Looking back from from the start, from when you first started to to now, what kind of things do you wish you know what? Like looking back, like that we should have done this differently, or like we should have done that differently. Anything come to mind off the top of your head? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I would have done it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, it's a scary hire. Uh, and again, I had known Morgan for over a decade before we started even talking in any formal capacity. And even that was scary uh, because it comes down to like giving up control. It comes down to trust. I mean, this is your baby. This is like, it's such a critical hire that you're so scared to make the wrong one. And, and rightfully so, because the wrong hire can be pretty, you know, you can lose a lot of time if you bring in the wrong VP sales. And it takes you six to eight months to figure out whether that person is right or wrong. So it's scary. But, I guess hindsight is twenty twenty. Now that I know he's, you know, been a phenomenal addition to the team, I would have did it earlier. I would have brought him in earlier so that we could have built out the strategic, uh, the, 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 the strategic level thinking at the table earlier. Other than that, I would say investing in marketing early because one thing that we did well is build a product and we found value in that product and we started selling it. Uh, but then 
you have to always remember that the marketing activities that you do are, they're the leading indicator. So bringing leads to the top of the funnel and ensuring that the sales team can continue to grow beyond what's on the table now, because you grow that team really quickly and if you don't have the marketing support, then eventually they're, they're hopefully going to be have enough uh, tailwind to the activity that they'll have enough leads coming in. Uh, but you always want them to be more busy than they can handle because that means you're scaling and growing as fast as you can. But you know, we brought on a fantastic VP marketing about four months ago, uh, and and she's been great so far. And the team's starting to get more and more enterprise logo leads, and um, things are growing nicely now. Awesome. So, la- I mean, last piece. Now you get to kind of brag a little bit, right? Looking back at the sales process, what were the two things that you did back then that, like, hey, it's paying dividends now, and I'm glad that that's that was put in place when it was. Well, I mean, <laughs> just sound like a broken record bringing on the sales team and bringing on yeah. uh, the great VP of sales. Not being scared to get in front of your customers and not being scared to fly out and sit and shake hands because your first hundred customers are going to be your best friend. They're going to be your comrade. They're going to be your beta tester. You know, you're going to call them at night and say, I've got this problem and I can't figure it out. I need your help understanding how we can get around it. Seriously, your first hundred customers are going to be like that to you. And you're going to feel like they are everything to you. When it comes to the business, of course, and that that's an important feeling, I think, for a founder and a CEO because you want to cherish those first customers because they're going to feel it and they're going to help you grow and evangelize the business. And it's all about getting to some initial scale, and they're going to help you get there and build that value. And so, I guess for me personally, having that experience because when I first started in sales, it was scary getting in front of customers. Like I remember my first sales calls. I was nervous. I was the guy that was way overdressed. I overdressed for a long time, actually. Uh, and now you're in a, in a t-shirt and jeans. So and I would sit in the car and I would like like pump myself up and I would like listen and I would try to say like it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. But at the end of the day, it's a big deal. And so having that experience um, over and over and over again, it was no problem for me to get in front of customers. But even if you have a fear of it, this is as a CEO and a founder, you have to get over that fear and get in front of your customers because sitting behind a wall or sitting behind a computer and trying to sell. It's not going to work. Yeah. So it seems like doing that along with your due diligence and your VP of sales is kind of the, the two pieces. Is like customers one, great VP of sales two, and that can kind of push your, your sales team forward. Yep. Yep. And obviously building something that people want to buy. Yeah. Um, I mean, it always but, comes down to product. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But even then, though, like there's plenty of valuable products out there that have no go to market. And there's plenty of crappy products that have a great go to market. So at the end of the day, it's really all about how you get to market. And so build something that people want to buy and get in front of your customers and, and just figure out how you're going to get to market as quickly as possible and, and you can build a great business. That's great. Um, I think our listeners are going to have a lot of a good information to take away from this talk. So thank you again, Chad, for joining us. Appreciate the time. And we look forward to having you again uh, soon when Iron reaches its 100 millions in uh, MRR. I'll see you <laughs> next year then. Thanks, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we have time for today. Questions? Feedback? Contact me at roadtogrowth at heavybit.com. Thanks again to Heavybit for sponsoring our program. To learn more about Heavybit's nine-month program for developer-facing startups, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, make sure to check out their library. It's packed with great educational talks from developer company founders and industry leaders. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great week.